0: All right, all right. I think we're on. Some people uh, have, that were not here last week are here this week. Somebody survived the high school trip to Camp Arcadia. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Come back, Kirby. We got a visitor, a friend from Chris of Christa's. We got another little guy over there. I believe this is his first time at Ladies Bible Study. Her. For- <gasps> even better oh my goodness wonderful yeah that's beautiful all right this is gonna be this is gonna be good this is gonna be great let's start with a prayer i just gotta make sure i pray the right one all right i think it's this one here let's go with this one an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules Second 2 Timothy 2, five. Almighty, everlasting God, graciously look down upon thy church. For thou alone art our strength and our salvation. Uphold us in thy right hand, so that we may not stumble and fall. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. All right. So, where are we this week? I have passed out some new handouts, um, and it should say, the one that you should have uh, should say Session 6 on it, um, yeah, that's the new one is Session 6, so if you have the Session 5 one, and if you don't have a Session 5 one, if you were in here last week, I don't think they're new, actually, I think I gave Session 5 out a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, I have a malfunction here with my microphone. We're getting back into the text. Last week, we spoke about a theme. If you remember, if you are here last week, we spoke about what was that theme that we talked about? Salvation, right? Salvation history in 1 Peter. So is it in the text? Well, of course it's in the text. But what do I mean today by getting back into the text? Last week, we looked at different passages from 1 Peter that says, how does Peter talk about salvation? How does Peter talk about justification? And obviously he does that throughout the letter using different phrases or images or ideas from the very literal, he was nailed to a cross, to a tree, as Peter says, from the very literal to Other types of images that he uses. Out of darkness, into light. Not a people, now a people. You know, that kind of image. Straying sheep. Back to the shepherd. So, today, we're getting back into the the text because we're reading, we're going to read a couple of chunks where we left off. So, the last thing we read two weeks ago was... 1 Peter 2 verse around verse 11 is where we left off. We're going to start at verse 13 today. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. That leads us into the submission part of the letter of 1 Peter. It's as I say in my handout there. Let's look at that. First page, top, on being a subject. In first Peter, one encounters hypotasso, or some variation of that verb, five times. As a matter of fact, it's six times. Except the sixth time, it comes right after bup bup, like very close to each other. So if you ought to be technical, it's six times. The, ve- the meaning of this verb is to place or rank under or to subject or one that I did not write down but is obvious and this is the one that I'm going to talk a little bit about. It's submit. It's used in various contexts but in all contexts It has to do with good order. Think about creation. The earth was formless and void, and God brought order. In a similar way in Peter's letter, God continues to order His church and how she deals with the world. And I want us to think about that, specifically about this word. This word came to me late, the word submit, and it shouldn't have, and I should have included it in the handout. But what's very important about the word submit, or submission, what are the two words in this, uh, in this word? Yeah, so, under, under Under what? Whatever's on top of you—that's right, under the ceiling, under a mission, right? I don't want to be just too literal, but under a missio. That's a letter. That's right. Sent, right? This is what you're sent for. This is your missio. Missio dei is a word we use in theology—the mission of God, the purpose. What is He being sent for? What is He being uh, doing? So under a mission. Submit, submission. I want us to keep that in mind as we talk about what's Peter getting at. The first part of the letter was a lot about who God is and what God has done. Through Jesus specifically, Peter's pointing. Jesus, it was a mess, and now it's not, because Jesus is here. You were a mess, and now you're not, because Jesus is here. Right? That, there's that idea there, and I'm not saying that it is all theoretical. Yet, up till this point, but Peter is explaining it in this is what God did in these broad terms. How does that differentiate from today, what we're going to start? Because now he's going to get into the nitty gritty, like more than before, more than he's done. He's going to tell you exactly what we are to do what does it mean to submit or to subject who do we do that to or for so he's going to get into it in a much more detailed way than we ever heard before in his letter and it is a change it feels like it's a change in gear and you can think about it that way or you could say Well, Peter's been talking about how God made us right throughout the letter. Isn't this just a continuation of that? And I think that would be a very, very, very good uh, way to think about this new section. Because we had the who or what God is, and then later you had, what did he do for me? Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have all that conversation going on. And now, two is not necessarily second chapter, but more of an order of things. Now it's, um, what does it look like? And from now until almost the end of the letter, that's how things are going to start to sound. Peter's going to be tremendously practical in your relationships with other people, in your relationships in the church. In your relationships with your pastors, in your relationships with your bosses, with the government, husbands and wives. And we have not seen that before. This is going to be a brand new, um, not idea. Again, I don't want to go with the brand new ideas, uh, but just, he's going to speak differently, maybe, if I can say it that way. So, an overview. This sheet that you have, it's two pages. You don't have the third page, and I did not print the third page because uh, there's barely anything on it. So that's what I'm uh, filling in. That's my job for uh, next week is to fill in these other parts. But if we look at page one and page two, and I invite you to do that, and I only want to look at the headings that I have, like number one and then the other page, number two. So number one, we have be submissive or be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Number two, on page two, we have servants. Be submissive or subject to your masters. Then, for the third, fourth, and fifth that I didn't put in, your, um, in yours, but I'll tell you where they are. Chapter three then goes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Point four is angels, authorities, and powers have been subject to Jesus. That's in verse uh, 22 of chapter 3. So if you're keeping track, I'll tell you exactly where they are. Right, The first one is in chapter 2, verse 13. The second one is chapter 2, verse 18. The third one is chapter 3, verse 1. The fourth one is chapter 3, verse 22. And the last one, number 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 5-5. Five, five. So those are the... And this is a short letter. Remember, this is only five very short chapters. And yet this is something that Peter would like us to look at or do. So I would like us to get going with the first one on page one. Let me uh, spin my Bible here to First Peter. A lot of times we hear the word subject Or submit and we've been taught to think of that as bad plain and simple it's bad especially since the Enlightenment because I'm a free person nobody can tell me what to do I think and feel and say and act the way I want to think feel say and act even if I'm a kid Or I'm a teenager or I'm an adult. I am my own person. Are there good things to that? Probably, but if we look at our society today, are we a more family-oriented society or are we more now an individualistic society? Um, I think that's pretty obvious. Do we try to glean knowledge from those older than us and our parents? and our mom, and our dad, and our grandparents? Or are there other places that that can make me smart? And I don't need my mom and dad. I don't need my grandparents. I don't need my wife or my husband. I can get smart another way. I think all of that has to do with submission. All of that has to do with being under the mission of somebody else. Understanding that that's all in order in love, in joy. Because it's very easy for us to hear the word submission and say, well, look what happened in history when all these people submitted to this person. It ended up in catastrophe. Well, look at my family where my dad was a tyrant. Everybody had to be submissive to him. And look how terrible that was. We love using the negative specifically with this word obey is another word discipline is another word regimen is another word that we're taught to say these are bad things well i don't know the bible talks a lot that way when it comes to creation when it comes to the church when it comes to families when it comes to dealing with people every day. The Bible doesn't like, well, Jesus doesn't like messes. And, um, and this is why these words are said. That's why he wants to order the world in love. So if we think about it that way, rather than the awful examples that we have, if we think of Jesus as a true rabbi and master to his students and how everybody was sitting at his feet. That's a beautiful image. Rather than saying he was a tyrant and forced people to be with him even when they wanted to leave. Actually, quite the opposite. We have plenty of people leaving Jesus, right? John 6, that's too hard for my ears. See you later. You know, um, that's what they said. Other people leaving Jesus throughout the ministry and he never, oh, you have to be here or else. And I want us to think about that and I'm serious uh, about this. I can use this church as an example. And I don't think this is a secret to anybody in this room, but I'm not the senior pastor. (laughs) And there's a senior pastor here. And, And I've been here so long that I've been under two senior pastors at this church. I get to create my Bible studies, and it's fun, and it's great, and I get to talk to you guys, but at the end of the day, I do have to talk to somebody who can say, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he's the senior pastor, and I am submissive to him. And it could be terrible. He could be a tyrant. He has the power to do that. He's the senior pastor. But it's not that way at all. We play nice because the senior pastor is not in charge he knows that somebody else is in charge of him And that's jesus christ and it's jesus christ's rules not senior pastor's rules and i bet he would be the first one to say that so the rules that we're playing with on the third floor are jesus rules even though he's the senior pastor and to tell you the truth i work for this church with joy because i know that those are the rules that are being played by. Not some tyrant's rules, but Jesus' rules and His Heavenly Father and the Spirit. So I submit because I know the mission that we're playing by. Right? It's beautiful. I'm under that. This is one of my vocations is to be under that mission. And I have found it to be absolutely wonderful, joyful to do that. So I want us to keep that in mind when it's joyful and when it's not. What do we do when it's not? Well, Peter has some answers to that. Let's jump in. Let's jump in and let's read. I'm talking too much. The last thing Peter says or writes In chapter 2, the last thing we really heard him saying in this narrative, if you will, not really a narrative, but in his letter, is keep, uh, 2.12, before we jump into 13, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep that in mind. The good deeds will come back up as we keep reading. Be subject. Here we go. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors sent by the emperor to punish those who do evil, and praise those who do good for this is the will of god that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of god honor everyone love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We'll stop there. If we look at our uh, handout, or if you have an ESV or another type of Bible, you might get some footnotes. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. In the bottom, I have every institution ordained for people. I don't want to get into this too much today, but the word institution in the Greek is an interesting word because only in 1 Peter is it translated that way. And there's a little bit of an argument about that. Everywhere else, the word institution is translated treated as creation human creation because that word throughout the new testament it is used to talk about the creation what god has created so in this sense is it saying honor every human creation or honor every human creature again Just keep antennas out for that. But let's keep reading to see why I find this interesting. For the Lord's sake, 1a, what does that mean? What is the Lord's will? Why does he say, do it for the Lord's sake? He could just say, be subject to every human institution. But what does he, why is he putting that in there, for the Lord's sake? I just think that that's an interesting and important addition. Yes, Marilyn.
1: Because if we have freedom under the gospel, we shouldn't, it seems like we wouldn't have to have, but for the Lord's sake, we're willing to
0: do that. Right, that's a good answer. Yeah, for the Lord's sake, we will do this. It's his will. For the Lord's sake, not for my sake. Peter's saying, for the Lord's. Yeah, uh, Carol.
1: Kind of goes with what, what Paul says in uh, Colossians, Colossians three seventeen. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him.
0: Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's good from Paul. Well, I just got to drag Paul in, I think, to this Peter study. When it's not you, it's me doing it. Yeah. Now, I think this is very interesting, and you might or might not think so. Be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And I have a footnote for emperor, and it says, or king, and they, uh, you know, king is basileos, and that's the word in the Greek. And so if there was a king, it'd be a king, but it says emperor because he named himself. I mean, that's what his title was emperor. What's interesting about that? I guess you could say a million things. So that was a terrible question. How does this verse start? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then, what human institution is mentioned first? Specifically, the emperor. Does the emperor believe that he is a human institution? Isn't that beautiful? Peter could get his head cut off right now because he's saying this is a human institution, it's a human creation. He's not a demigod. We have our God already. This just came to me last night. I mean, I, had, well, I was doing this, and I was reading one thing or another. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure this is treason, what Peter just said. Be subject to every human institution, including the emperor. So we could easily say, I don't have to honor the emperor because he's not Or he's not even Christian. Peter's not saying that at all. He's saying the opposite. He's flipping the tables and he's saying, yes, the emperor is not Christian and the emperor is not God, but he's the emperor. And he's supreme. He uses that word, highest. Right? So that's the first thing. And what is the second thing that you honor, right after the emperor, is? The governor. The guy's underneath him, right? So somebody like Pontius Pilate, for example. What? Gotta honor that guy too? Yeah. But that's what Peter, that's what Pontius Pilate is. He's one of the governors that's sent by the emperor to rule over that part of the world. So. B, emperor as supreme. Where is the emperor? We talked about that last class and maybe two classes ago. Rome. Why would it be difficult for Christians to do this? We already answered some things, but I think you can think of other answers. Why would it be difficult for uh, Christians to honor the emperor? Persecution is ramping up, so it's not just at all that this guy's not a Christian. There's actually persecution. Why else? These are the main answers. We've answered, I think, with the, 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 the question with the main answers. but if anybody has anything, he's not a Christian.:
1: so Many of the things that he did so anti
0: That's exactly right. Even if they're not anti-Christians, per se, they are Antichrist.
1: Isn't uh, Peter here saying, I mean, first be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake in every human institution? He's talking about the institution, not the individual who is heading up this institution for the huh. sake of order.
0: Okay, okay, that, yeah. It can be, we're gonna get back to that, I think. I have something from our LSB to mention about, I think, that exact point, yeah. Now this is, I wanna get to the today in 1B2. How is the position of emperor different from what we have as government today? Why is it radically different? It's radically different from 2,000 years ago to today. What's the biggest difference, supposedly?
1: We elect our, our president. But they, only a few got to elect the head of the Roman Empire. Just the seven
0: or so. Oh, yeah. I think at one point it was just, I'm emperor for life, and I think my son will be, or my nephew, or one of the 15 kids I have with the 15 different people, depending on the emperor. Um, so there's this idea... That we have, if I can use this word, of democracy. Today, back then, Peter's time, and in other times of history, for the great majority of history, by the way, um, there wasn't an idea of I have a say in who is the emperor, or the king, or the queen. It just is. And I think that that's, it's almost impossible for us to think, to put ourselves in that time. To just say, there's no such thing as campaign season. There's no such thing as debates on TV. Or it's just, oh, the emperor died? Who's the new emperor? Well, that guy. We already knew it was gonna be that guy, already from before, who's the new king? Well, it's that guy. We knew that already because he was in line. And I don't know if it's easier to honor the emperor then than to honor the emperor today. Because today, I can get pretty upset that the emperor is not the guy I had a say in. Right? I didn't vote for that guy, and he's the emperor, and I have to honor him. Where in Peter's time, it's, you have You have a say in anything in that? No, that's just the person who's there. So is it easier for Peter or is it easier for us? Peter's dealing with persecution. We're dealing with pride, right? Pride that the person there is not our person and we know best. Where Peter's like, I have no say whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, that guy might kill me. That's how I might end up dying which most likely happened. But he's there. I can do nothing about it. So we honor him. And what does honor mean? That's another question for later. But that's the main, one of the big differences between what's going on in Peter and what's going on today. There'd be no question that the next guy who's coming, you know, I'm going to honor him because he's going to be blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to have a say in that. It's just the emperor, supreme, he even uses that word. Oh man, for uh, 1b2, I put a big spelling mistake that comes out sometimes. I don't want to say it on the radio here of what the spelling mistake was. But Christians and the government. How many Christians do we uh, think were in government in Peter's time? tell people it's the latin spelling that is the latin spelling that's right thank you i've already used some today so why not here no christians in government for a long time there weren't and then when other right when the uh for example the turks over the byzantine empire took over there were christians but there are no christians in the in the government, and other times, a lot of other times in Christian history of the church, there weren't any Christians in the government. Yet Peter's letter was still in the canon, was still, they said, yeah, of course, this is the word of God. So what does that mean when we just take it for granted that we're gonna vote for the mayor in Wheaton who's a Christian? Of course we're gonna, of course we're gonna do that. What else would we do? It's automatic in our minds. For example, in Brazil, in our town, I saw a post that uh, October 31st is a holiday in our town, and it's gospel day, I think they call it, and uh, the mayor comes up, and he says a prayer, and you know, like that's just, we're just used to that, it's, of course it's a holiday, of course October 31st people have off, but that's complete, not Peter's context whatsoever, not even close. So. Two, I mean, uh, one C, governors sent by him. And guess what? You got a governor. And guess what? It's sent by the emperor. So I wrote that too, that governors obviously were not sent by the people, for the people, and by the people, for the people, and for the people. Of course not. And for the government's sake. I want to talk about more of the role of government later, but let's keep moving. What do, oh yeah, it's right here. D. Somebody read that verse, please. And it is verse 14. Why are governors sent by him?
1: To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good.
0: Yeah, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put silence put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So according to this verse, what is the base, and I'm not saying that we should, f- our government should be founded on this, or should or shouldn't, that's not my argument right now, but if we just read this verse, what is the role of this government, of the government? Promote good, punish evil, and you said, to keep order, to keep order. right? I think that sounds good. For everybody, for every government, right That's what we want. We want order to be had. If Christians are being slaughtered left and right, that's not order. Right? There's a mess going on. So not even in that sense, it's order. He's just saying, Punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. We pray that will be the role of these governors that were sent to us by the emperor. We hope they praise those who do good and we hope that they punish evil because that's order. What is the will of God for you? Verse 15. Why do you do, why are these people to do good? What's the what's the, What does Peter say here? Because he just said the governors are sent to praise those who do good. Verse fourteen, verse fifteen. What does he ta- what does he say? He's being sneaky. He's being sneaky. You say. In
1: that, no. Someone.
0: Another good reason to get rid of them. Yeah. Right? Look how terrible they are.
1: If I was dead the first I said, Oh no, I know this Christian, and this is what they did. They helped me for no reason.
0: That's right.: <laughs> Yeah.
1: They hospital to take care: of the and-
0: They buried the dead, right? Who nobody else would bury. Yeah, so verse 15, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's already hinting at persecution here. He's saying there are going to be people here who are not going to be Christian, and they're going to be looking to you to how to get rid of you because you're not honoring the gods. You're no longer a Gentile. You're no longer a Jew. So those people who have been here a long time are going to be looking at you to find fault in you. So do good. And again, I think that is very, very relevant to the church today because we are at all, not at all, in the role of being in charge of anything anymore, right? We have presidents who say they're, they go to church. We have governors who say they go to church. We have mayors, but what does that actually mean, right? At the end of the day, because we have a country that looks like this. Christians are becoming a minority. And how do we act? Do we lay down on the ground and squirm and have a te- temper tantrum? Is that orderly? Or, or do we go Peter's way and do good? so others can, Not so others can see us doing good. We do good that when others see us, they see us doing good. Much like God. Then he says, Do good to silence the foolish. Is the good we do always seen as good now it's the trouble in the text oh e1a if you're following is the good we always do always seen as good and does that matter does it matter that our good is not seen as good so what is a good that a Christian might do that is not seen as good. I don't want to get too controversial, but it's something that is obviously relevant, I think, in our culture. How about just pray? Pray for somebody who is doing something that Christ says they shouldn't be doing, but you're praying for that person. And now you're seen as perhaps even evil for doing that, because that person's right in doing what they're doing so if you're praying against that, you're obviously wrong and evil. Yeah, so just not even, praying is not even something that you're just in your room, right, doing it. Or, for example, people have, that have been arrested for being outside abortion clinics and praying. They're standing there and they're praying. And they've been put in jail because what they're doing is being seen as evil. And against the law, and against this, and against that.
1: But I mean, it, oh, sorry. They're creating disorder. But that's this weird thing that protesters are creating disorder. So this is a, it's an interesting thing you bring up. Yeah. It's complicated, isn't it? Yes. Because the law of our country right now is that it's okay.
0: Right. So the Christian is being seen as disorderly. So who? Right. So who? <laughs> whose order? Of the world do we fall right? Which glasses do we put on?
1: A lot of people do find that disorder. Yeah. You know, that's our right for Christians want to tell our rights. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking about the violence against Jewish people and Palestinians and Muslims right now, especially because of the In the US. In the US because there's a lot of Christians in Palestine. That's right. And even right. in the in, even in the Gaza Strip, there's at least fourteen hundred people that were members of that church that was bombed. Mm-hmm. and They aren't probably part of Hamas, you know. <laughs> right. And you know to say that, and then but to hate Jews isn't right either. Right, right, right. And and especially to provide violence against either one of them is
0: certainly wrong. So.
1: So if you prayed for them publicly,
0: oh, you I do that see. In church on Sunday. Yes. The whole conflict. That's right. we pray for those suffering in the Holy Land. That's right. So it's something that is good, but can be seen as evil by the world. Yeah, so what order? Yeah, right, right. So that's a good point that Marilyn and Kirby brought up. What order do Christians live by, the Christian order, that is seen as evil by the world. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. And so who are the foolish here? Do good to silence the foolish. That's a strong word. So E B here, who are the foolish? Simple answer. People who don't know the will of God. People who don't know the will of God. And whose will do they know? Their, world. Their own. The world. Right, exactly. <laughs> Any unbeliever. So what's, uh, what's the... Oh, man, I have that somewhere down here. I think I got it from Ecclesiastes, right? Or Proverbs. So, ooh, I don't want to jump all the way down, but let's go to H. H1. The fear of God is the beginning of... Knowledge. Wisdom. And that's the opposite of foolishness. So knowing the will of God, knowing what He wants, wisdom. Knowledge. The opposite of that, foolishness. Now, F is so cool. Live as people who are... Why is that so strange in this, in this part of the text? How does he start? What verb does he start with? Submit. Submit. Wait a minute. So I have to do this but he just said this and now he's saying this. So which one is it, Peter? Right? You're calling me a chosen priesthood and a royal priesthood and a chosen nation and a a new people and this and that, but you're also calling me an exile and a pilgrim? Which one is it? I'm to submit, but I'm free? Which one is it? You hold it. <laughs> Say it again. Freely submit. Yeah, right, right, right.
1: Is the, is the verb in this, like, I mean, is it live like people who are free or live as pe- people who are, like, are you free in this sentence in the original language or are you meant to live as if you were free? But,
0: What's the difference? Let me Let me well, push back is he saying you are free oh are to
1: live as if you are as if you, I don't know
0: is it you are free or you are as live as, as if you are you are free well, I mean, I don't yeah definitely is you're free
1: you're admit, yeah is he saying
0: but but live as if you are free right or are you or you are well free? so uh, what do you... So how, do we finish, how does he finish that verse? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You are free. This would even make it more interesting if the, and if the ESV... I do have to talk about translation now. This is, you'll always see this note footnote, if you have an ESV, or I don't know other Bibles, but I use the ESV mostly, every book of the Bible that has the word servant in it, the first time it's mentioned, it's going to have a number one or a whatever. Then it's going to make you look at the bottom. And what does the bottom say? Master. Or even what? Uh, I think that's the word. loss Slave then it's going to give you a whole explanation why it doesn't use the word slave. And why doesn't it use the word slave? In the ESV, English Standard Version, printed in the United States, just down the street, crossway, why doesn't it use the word slave? Because of 19th century, 18th century, 16th century slavery. Right? So, if you go back to the original, they're going to use slave. Servant. Equal, if you're slave or servant. But because of the history of the Western world with slavery from Africa, we tend to not touch that word in our, or put that word in the Bible. If it's like slavery in the Old Testament, maybe we would say bond servant. If it is in the New Testament, we would say servant. But the word is doulos, it's slave. So in this verse, it says, live as people who are free but living as slaves to God, right? So, even that word in our ear has uh, obviously has connotations, slavery, because we grew up in a country, a lot of us, in Brazil or in the U.S., where, you know, not too long ago, you could still own somebody. So, as slaves to God, you know, that... um, So... So, mine says, uh, if you have an ESV or if you have another Bible, so this is the first time slave, uh, I think, is mentioned. I'm not sure, but I think it's the first time it's mentioned in 1 Peter. So, I have a note on the bottom that says, for the contextual rendering of the Greek word doulos, see preface. So, I have to open the preface of my Bible and look up what the ESV editors say, why they did not choose the word slave but use the word servant. They're going to tell you, it's, going to all, it's all going to be in there, 19th century, 16th century, 17th century slave trade, and that's why they choose not to use it. I'm not judging that. All I'm saying is if you read this verse with the word slave in it, it, is, it changes uh, how you hear it because you go from free, live as free but as slaves to God. That's interesting. I like that. Why is it a beautiful thing to be a servant, a slave to God? Well, because His mission is perfect. We are under His mission. And if we are under His mission, we are free. Because His mission is to rid us of everything that's evil. And then the Son will make you free. And you shall be free indeed.
1: Moses under the law required that they had to treat their slaves as a member of the family and the over the head of the family was supposed to make sure they were well taken care of and everything was good. Right. So it's not like the connotation.
0: No, 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 no. I'm no. not saying the
1: rest of the world did it that way at no, that time.
0: I no, don't no, no. Yeah. But I uh,
1: know that the Bible says they were supposed to take care of yeah, slaves. Yeah. To treat them as family.
0: Um Yeah, I mean, there could be a whole study of what slavery looked like in different parts of the world, India, Africa, the ancient, ancient Europe, for example, North America, South America, right? One tribe conquering the other. What do you do with those other people? You have them work for you. You own them. You're not going to pay them. We just paid for it. Soldiers died, that's how we paid for it. My brother died in this battle to take over those people. That's the payment I made to own that person. That kind of idea, right? This is not a justification. I'm just saying that's the idea. So how obviously slavery was practiced in the time of Peter is quite different how it was practiced in the new world, I should say in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Again, not a justification for slavery. I'm not saying that these uh, servants here that Peter's going to talk about later should have been servants, but this is the context that they're dealing with. You wake up in the morning, and they're servants, and they're slaves. That's just how the world is in Peter's time. And there's an emperor, and you get to do nothing about him. He's the emperor. So everything is different. Not everything plenty of things are very different in Peter's time than it is today. We have to understand that. We can't say, what? He's not standing up against this unchristian emperor who's killing Christians, and it's this tyrant, and we don't vote for him, and why isn't he calling for revolution, and why isn't he calling for the freedom of slaves? This is what the Bible should all be about. I can give you a lot of podcasts who say that exact same thing, right? Right? Why isn't the Bible about freeing freeing slaves? Why isn't the Bible about overthrowing the Romans? We have those people. They're called the zealots in the Bible, right? Let's overthrow the Roman occupation in Jerusalem. Right? Those peoples do exist. And we have Simon, the zealot, who joined Jesus, who said, you know what? Maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe there's another way here. Maybe Jesus means for us to live differently. But that's for the next section. That's for the next submit section. Let's try to finish this. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. You are free to do so much of what is true, beautiful, and good. But you are not free to do evil this section ends with four one two three four imperatives very very short sentences and I put them here G H I J with some Bible uh, verses next to each honor everyone somebody asked that once who is my neighbor they asked to Jesus Luke ten, fear God. Proverbs one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Love the brotherhood. I put two verses there, both from Psalms. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And Psalm sixteen, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. And honor the emperor. Render to Caesar the things that are. Caesars. We're not going to start at all the second page, but I want you to look at the bottom of the second page. And those are quotes from different early church people that have to do with what we talked about. And I want us to look at the second one, from Didymus the Blind. The fear of God must come first and govern all the rest. Then from Bede, It is not that every human ruler punishes those who do wrong and praises those who do right, since many obviously do not live up to what God expects of them. Nevertheless, Christians receive honor and praise from God if they endure the unworthiness of their rulers and stand up against their foolishness. That opens up a whole other question of what does that mean, stand up against their foolishness. I want us to think about some of that stuff, that first section. Any final comments about this first submit? Yes, ma'am.
1: I would say, I've been thinking about it a lot, that in our country especially, that we've, been, we've had a spirit of rebellion from the get-go, even before we were... A country because people came over here to escape to escape religious persecution instead of enduring it back in there. So they came here like, okay, now we're going to do it our way, and then we've just kind of been in rebellion ever since. And we just we're just not willing to submit.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I.
1: In this sense, because we're like, "Ah, I don't like that. So yeah, we're going to go out. Yeah.
0: I don't know the crowd I'm speaking to here, but my uh, undergrad profs said, you know, wars, when they decapitated the king in France and the queen, like people were starving in the streets. People were dying. When they killed the, uh, the emperor or the, the, the Tsar and his family uh, in Russia in the 20s, people were like dying in the streets. Like, the emperor was, you know, they're sending people to fight, and I'm not justifying the killing or justifying whatever, but, and here, people are just paying higher taxes. You know what I'm saying? So in that sense, that spirit of rebellion, it's like, hey, man, I don't want somebody to, so compare, I'm not saying they should have, have been an American revolution, but in terms of comparing apples to apples, you know, we overthrew a king here in, the, in, in New England and the colonies uh, because we just didn't want to pay, you know, we get to say, so... Um, But yeah, that sense of, uh, yeah, so the idea of um, spirit of rebellion, that's interesting. We were also going
1: to make this place Christian. That was another group of people, it wasn't the Puritans, but others were going to turn this into a Christian place. Maryland?
0: That's right, yeah, 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 we can... Talk about that, Spanish, too.
1: especially in South America.
0: Yeah, well, look at all the Spanish names that we have in the United States, right? And how many saints' names are? San Francisco, San Jose, San... So there were two Yeah, right. I can go down that history path a long time. I was a history teacher. All right, let us pray and let us go. Sorry for going over time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen.